You know the difference between an Englishman and an Irishman, a Scotsman, and a Welshman. Well, you've come today for this important information. <laughs> two Scotsmen, two Welshmen, two Englishmen, and two Irishmen were marooned on this island in the South Pacific and were discovered two years later. Well, the two Scotsmen had formed a bank and were trading shells with each other. The two Welshmen had formed a choir and were singing. The two Irishmen had killed each other off in a fight. The two Englishmen were waiting to be introduced. Thank you for that introduction. Of course, the more important the person is, the more gravitas, the more fame, the less you say. So I need to tell you, I'm R.T. Kendall, born July 13th, 1935, uh, married to Louise, his first wife of 60 years as of last June 28th. Well, there you are. I'm 83 years old, never so busy in my life, and we have with us our first grandson, Toby, on the front row. Two or three or four years ago, someone wrote, said, are you sure you want to do the nine o'clock service? I said, yes. The sweetest times have been in this room, and I pray that God might be pleased to do it again. By the way, while I'm rambling, uh, our son T.R. is here. One of the things we do when we come to Atlanta, get rid of books, really. We sell everything for $10, supposed to be 15 16 17 and uh, early Christmas shopping. Get them as you leave. Uh, it's easy to remember, 10 We get our money back just, not here to make money. Don't, I don't make a penny, i tell you that. Uh, but I'll be out there to sign them. If that helps, get rid of them. So I'll be there. Now look, you need to know this. If I had my way, serious comment, I would preach on my latest book, which is called Popular in Heaven, Famous in Hell. It's been endorsed by Ruth Graham, Billy's daughter. And the uh, most interesting title I've ever had, but the book is full of s stuff that I'd like to preach on it. But I feel definitely led to preach on what I'm going to preach on today. A little self-conscious in doing this because some of you have heard this before. That said, I have a feeling that someone needs this and you've heard it before. Now I want to read to you, um, first of all, from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 10 and 11. The words of the Apostle Paul, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we should not be out 
outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I bring before you now Michael and Elizabeth. What a privilege to be here today. Be with them wherever they are. And may they have an ever-increasing sense of your presence, anointing of the Holy Spirit, and protection and blessing. I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to be upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Let this be a life-changing word, I ask, and may it be a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The question is, if you had the choice, and someone here today has that choice, which would you rather have, vindication or a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit? At the natural level, we all want vindication. There's not much that is more painful than having your name abused when there's a lie out there that everybody believes and there's no way you can defend yourself and you die a thousand deaths within because you live under a bit of a cloud And you would love more than anything in the world to have your name cleared. It's a natural feeling. But I have definitely been led to preach preach a word that some of you have heard before. And this sermon today was born in what was at the time the darkest hour Louise and I ever went through. It was at Westminster Chapel in London, where we spent 25 years. They were the best of times, the worst of times, to quote Charles Dickens. And we went through a very dark hour. What happened was unfair, unjust, wrong. And there was not a thing we could do about it. No way we could clear our name And I cannot tell you how horrible it was. But an old friend from Romania happened to be in London. And because I knew he wouldn't tell anybody, I told him. His name is Joseph Tzone. I've actually written a book called God Meant It for Good, Life of Joseph. I I dedicated it to Joseph Tzone. I told him what happened, what they did, (laughs) fully expecting him to put his arm around me and say, well, R.T., you ought to be angry. 
Get it out of your system. I think that's what I wanted. I wasn't prepared for what followed. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, it's when Joseph Tsone looked at me and said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life, faithful of the wounds of a friend. I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can, and you must. I have to tell you right now, it's the hardest thing I have ever had to do. Almost certainly the hardest thing you will ever have to do. And that is when you let your enemy off the hook, the one who has lied about you, in some cases abused you, in some cases unfaithful to you, They lied about you, and everybody believes the lie. And you are under a cloud, and you'd give anything in the world for that cloud to be removed. And what if God comes along and says there's a better way forward? And you cannot imagine what that would be. But I can tell you, this is the better way what I'm going to speak to you about today. And that is to let your enemy off the hook. And you actually bless them. And when you pray for them, you don't just say, Heavenly Father, I just commit them to you. Because you're hoping God will kill them. That's not what Jesus meant. He says, bless your enemy. You say, R.T., I could never do that. I understand. What I'm putting to you right now seems grossly unfair. And that means to let your enemy off the hook and kiss vindication goodbye. Because there's actually a better way forward. And you say, I cannot imagine what that is. You see, the Apostle Paul had what he calls a thorn in the flesh. I've actually written a book on it. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. We can guess. But here's the thing. He said, I asked three times for God to remove it. And then God says, what if I gave you a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit? Will that do? And Paul said, oh, yes, I'll take that. And that is what's on offer today. And if somehow I can get this over to you, you will thank me. You will get on your knees and thank God. And strange as it may seem, the day will come. That you will thank God 
for the very thing that has brought you down at the moment. I wouldn't have thought it. I should have, but I wouldn't have. I'm sorry to say that one day I would actually thank God for this. And I'll go further than that. You can put me under a lie detector. Best thing that ever happened to me. Oh, I don't think, see, I can say that. Just wait. But I have to tell you, it will come in proportion to the degree you let them off the hook. Doesn't mean you approve of what they did. Doesn't mean you live in denial that you say, oh, well, what they did wasn't that bad. No, no, that's not going to work. When Paul says you keep no record of wrongs, you admit what they did was wrong. You don't have to play games with yourself and say, well, maybe it wasn't that bad. Look, it, it was horrible. It was horrible. And it's then that you let them off the hook and actually bless them. Now, I've written a book called Total Forgiveness, and I'm ashamed to say that the text that I just read isn't in that book. It was kind of a belated discovery. Wish I had it in the book, but we're going to give it to you now. It's when Paul said, there's another reason for forgiving. And it's not in my book, but you should hear it. He says, lest we be outwitted by Satan. It may not have crossed your mind that when you don't forgive and you hold on to that grudge and you live for the day that you can say to your enemy, gotcha. You love that thought. You live for it. What you don't know, and it's sad but true, that the devil loves it when you hold on to that grudge. Because what you just did, you didn't mean to. You didn't mean to. But you give the devil an entry point into your life. And the consequence of that is you may lose your healing. You may develop an ailment that you gave the devil a right to get in because you couldn't let go of the bitterness. Paul says that. And he says, I've got to forgive. I've got to do it. And it didn't bless him particularly to do it because what he was talking about was so awful. But he says, I do forgive. Lest Satan outwit us. And he's not going to give the devil an inch. And you may not have thought of it before. Don't give Satan pleasure over your holding on to unforgiveness. Don't give it to him. Don't let him have it. It's dangerous. He is ruthless. He hates you with an icy hatred. And he can't get in as long as you live a life of total forgiveness. He can't get there. But the moment you open yourself up, dangerous stuff. And that's why Satan 
uh, is looking around. He is watching you. He has a computer printout on your personality, on your thinking. And if he sees a chance to get in, he will go for it and all hell breaks loose and you wonder, what's happened? What's going on? I'm giving you another explanation. It's not in my book. If I ever write a, a revised version, I'll certainly get it in, but you're getting it. And it may be that someone here, you, needs this, you need this more than anything in the world. I've come to Atlanta this time knowing that somebody, maybe it's in this service or the next, needs this word desperately. Well, you say, but Archie, you don't know what it is that I've had to forgive. Here's the thing. We all look for the loophole whereby that we say to ourselves, in my case, this is a little different. And God understands that in my case, I don't have to forgive. We all look for that loophole. If I could just have a parallel illustration, I'm not going to say more about it, but, but last, less than a minute. But you take the subject of tithing. I've written a book on tithing. There are people say, you know, it's not the money, it's the principle. Listen, as we say in the hills of Kentucky, whenever a, a, a fellow says to you, it ain't the money, it's the principle, it's the money. And people look for a loophole that they don't have to tithe, you know. Well, that's this parallel, just thought. Okay, back to total forgiveness. We all think that in our case, God knowing the circumstances, my personality, what I've been through, what they did, that would be the devil as well. To say, in your case, God doesn't expect you to forgive and I've got a feeling there's one or two here, maybe right here. You've kind of lived under that delusion. And you think you're the exception. We all want that. We all look for that loophole. And if I told you my story, I could win you over easily. But I suspect that if I heard your story... I would be embarrassed to think that I suffered at all. I dare say there's somebody here, you have suffered ten times anything I've gone through. And suppose we all agree, we hear your story, that nobody in Atlanta has suffered like you. And you then say, well now, <laughs> you see what I've been through? And you think that God says, in your case, you're off the hook. If you think you're off the hook, the angels have a word for you. You ready for it? The angels. Here's a rhema word. A rhema word from the angels. For the person here who has suffered more than anybody else in Atlanta. Congratulations. What? What? Yep, you heard me. Congratulations. God would not have allowed that in your case 
unless you've got the most brilliant future of anybody in this room. Here's why. The greater the suffering, the greater the anointing. The person next to you doesn't have the promised blessing you have because they haven't suffered like you. The person in front of you doesn't have the promised blessing you have because they haven't suffered like you have. But because you have, God sees you. He knows what you've been through. And if you can forgive that, oh, wow, anybody around you would envy you. What must be down the road for you? But not unless you release them. You release them and totally forgive them. But now before I bring the second half of this message to you, I need to tell you this. We all tend to think we've forgiven. It's easy to do that because we have to some degree and in some cases. But we're talking now about total forgiveness. You see, there are degrees of forgiveness. There's partial forgiveness. You forgive them up to a point. Or, you know what? I get a letter once a year, same person, writes back and puts his case that you don't have to forgive them until they're sorry. And I said to him, I keep saying, look, you've just come up with a recipe to stay bitter to your grave. Because the people that you've got to forgive, first of all, half of them don't even think they've done anything wrong. And the other half, they're not sorry. And if you're going to wait until they're sorry, you've come up with a a way just to live as you are. Listen, if I took that theory that you don't wait, you don't forgive them until they're sorry, not a single person, I promise you, not one has ever been sorry. And half of them, if you told them, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. They don't think, they never see it. And what gets your goat is that they don't know how hurt you are. And so you kind of want to tell them, you know, uh, for example, when this service is over, uh, don't walk across the room and go up to somebody and say, well, now in the light of R.T.'s sermon, I forgive you. They'll say, for what? (laughs) You know. I don't. Well, you do. I'm sorry, I don't. Well, you should. Now you've got a fight going, which is what you wanted. You can't bear the thought that they don't know how hurt you are. And so you kind of want to stick the knife in, you know, let them hurt. But I forgive you. You haven't. That's why you say it. When you really have forgiven them, they never know. That behind the scenes, you actually have forgiven them and prayed for them. It hurts when they don't know. But I'm going to put a challenge to you right now. You may have thought of this a thousand times, and yet it might be you never have thought of this. What I'm getting ready to tell you. How would you like a high level 
of the blessing of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, I'm not talking about anointing on a preacher. If you are in the ministry, that, that fits. But most of you are not preachers. You have a gift no one else has. Whether you are a nurse, a physician, you're in finance, you're in politics, you're a lawyer, you're a truck driver, you have a gift no one else has, and it is not being discovered because your time will come when you finally let them off the hook and pray for them, and they don't know. They're being prayed for. You don't run up to them and say, well, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. <laughs> that blows it. You just lose it. You just made the angels blush. To get the maximum blessing. Pray for them when they never know that you're doing this. God knows. Bless them. Well, they never know how hurt you are. Bless them when they don't even know what they've done. Here's your model. It's a man by the name of Jesus hanging on the cross when they scoffed and laughed and retorted and said, he saved others, he can't save himself. <laughs> hey, hey, son of God. Come down from the cross so we can see and believe. Do you realize that right up until the end of his life, Jesus was being tempted? The temptation right then would have been to retort. As a lamb before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. But says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. You see, it takes minimal grace to forgive when they're sorry. If that's the kind of grace you want, fine. Unconverted people can do that too, you know. The godfather of the mafia. He can have a soft heart if the person's sorry. And if you're waiting for that, you're not needing a lot of grace then to forgive them. Here's what takes grace when they're not sorry. They don't even know what they've done. And all you do is tell him. As it's put in the old spiritual that came out of the slave, slaves and cotton fields of Alabama. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. He likes it that way. You see, when you tell the world and then tell Jesus, uh, you didn't confide in Jesus. You've already told everybody. You see, the first evidence of total forgiveness, number one, is that you don't tell anybody what they did. And that's what you have in the story of Joseph when he hadn't seen his brothers for 22 years. He knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And he's speaking through an interpreter. He always knew this day would come when they would bow down to him because he'd been given in a dream 22 years before. 
And now the fulfillment of the dream has come. He thought that God gave him that dream so that one day he could look at those brothers and say, gotcha. He, he longed for that moment. And maybe you have longed for that moment because we all want that. <laughs> it's the most natural feeling in the world. But when you kiss that goodbye, Joseph did. And instead of saying, gotcha, he breaks down and sobs. And then, speaking in Hebrew or whatever language it was to his brothers, he said, I'm Joseph. And he had a request. I want everybody out of the room. Everybody out. Well, they file out cabinet aides. Interpreter probably thinks he's going to stay out. And now Joseph, behind closed doors, reveals his identity. Why did he make everybody leave? It's because he's going to persuade them to live in Egypt. He wants to make sure in Egypt, nobody knows what they did to him. He knows that he is a hero in Egypt. He wants his brothers to be heroes. He knows if the word leaks out, every Egyptian to a man would hate those 11 brothers. He didn't want that. So behind closed doors, so that nobody would ever know, he reveals his identity. You see, why is it the first thing we do when somebody hurts us? We're on the phone to tell what they did. Why, why would you do that? Well, it's because you can't bear the thought that anybody would like them anymore. You want to destroy their influence. You want to hurt their reputation. So you tell what they did. By the way, God doesn't like that a bit. Because as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions, never to be held against you. And now that you've been forgiven, you turn around and you won't forgive you violate covenant. God doesn't like it. That's why you're under a cloud, and that's where the devil has an entry point. Don't give him that. Total forgiveness. You don't tell what they did. You don't even let them be afraid of you. These men were scared to death. They were terrified. Joseph says, come close to me. You see, they couldn't believe it. That the very man that they were going to kill is now saying, close, come on. He just wanted to love on them. He wouldn't even let them feel guilty. He says, look, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be angry with yourselves. Have you ever said to somebody, well, I forgive you for what you've done, but I hope you're sorry about it. We well, see, you're still wanting them to feel guilt. And you, you think that that will make it easier for you. Of course, that's the point. If they're sorry, it's easier to forgive them. Joseph wanted them to know that he's not wanting a bit of vengeance, not a bit of comeuppance. He, he says, don't be angry with yourselves. That's total forgiveness. And don't be surprised if the people you have to forgive are well-known, prominent, 
godly, ooh, boy, the godly people. They can be the meanest people in the world. You've heard the poem, living with the saints above, oh, that will be glory. Living with the saints below, well, that's another story. You like that, Toby? Total forgiveness, you don't tell what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't let them feel guilty. And here's the thing, you let them save face. Joseph said to them, look, for two years now, there's been famine. You all know about it. Well, it's going to last another five years, I have to tell you. What you need to do is get here in Egypt where we can look after you. And the truth is, it wasn't you who did it. It wasn't you who caused me to be sold to the Ishmaelites 22 years ago. You thought you did it. No, 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 no. God did it. What? Mm. God did it. You talk about letting them save face. He says, you know, look, somebody had to get here first. It was predestined that Abraham's seed would be coming out of Egypt. We were in Canaan. Somebody had to get to Egypt for that to happen. And God said, hmm, Joseph, you go first. That's all it was. God sent me ahead of you. It wasn't you who did it, but God. <laughs> These 11 brothers can't believe their luck. That the very man that they were going to kill is now saying God was at the bottom of it all. You talk about sovereignty of God. You talk about how gracious God is. What that means is that skeleton in your closet, and we've all got them. God had a purpose even then. He's not finished with you yet. Just wait. You will see that God did not desert you. He had a hand in it all. And one day, you'll come to see it. Joseph protected them from their darkest secret. He wouldn't even let them go back to Canaan and tell old Jacob the truth about how they yanked that coat of many colors off his back, dripped it in, dipped it in blood, and laid it before old Jacob who took the bait and Thought he'd never see Joseph again. He won't even let them tell. Chances are you know something about somebody. If you were to reveal it, could destroy them. God has enough on you to bury you. You know it. He's not going to tell it. Don't you. Total forgiveness, by the way. This is the hard part. It's a life sentence. It means you've got to keep doing it. You say, well, you know, I did that six years ago. Really? Here's your problem. You did it then and felt better, and you thought that was it. And since then, you've kind of taken it off the altar, got angry again and bitter, and you gave the devil an entry point. And there's no accident here today that you're right here. This is for somebody Life sentence means it's like a, I take a tablet every day. My doctor said you'll have to take it for the rest of your life. That's what he said. 
It's a life sentence, and I do. Total forgiveness. You've got to pray for them today. You're going to have to do it again tomorrow. A week from now, a year from now. Don't expect them to turn around because you pray for them. Some do and some don't. In either case, you keep doing it. And total forgiveness is that you bless them. You see, 17 years later, old Jacob died. And the brothers come running in panic and said, Joseph, before dad died, he told us to tell you, please forgive us. They couldn't believe that he really had. He, they thought that he was just waiting for the time. It turned out he really had forgiven. It was real. 17 years later, he, when they say, Joseph, please forgive us, he starts to cry. He says, what's the matter with you men? I told you 17 years ago. I would forgive you. I bless you then. I bless you now. He blessed them. He blessed them. He blessed them. It was real. It's a life sentence. Don't think you can give up on it. No, this is the key. Listen to me. This is the key. If you're wanting a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit, if you want vindication, then kiss anointing goodbye. You can't have it both ways. I'm sorry. Make a choice. Chase after vindication and you'll probably never get it. Chase after the anointing, and he'll give you vindication if you can cope with it. If not, just go to heaven, knowing that God used you more than ever. Never forget it as long as I live. I was leading the worship at Westminster Chapel. And right there in the service during the hymns comes a woman. I see her way in the back. Fourth row from the back, toward the middle. I can see her now. That woman has done irreparable emotional damage to one of our children. I mean, irreparable. She suffers to this day. This was 20 years ago. 25. And I saw her in the service. I lost it. I, I mean, I couldn't sing. I just met the mouth, the words. Then I had to read the scripture. I don't know how I got through. I had to sing through another hymn and then the pastoral prayer. And in those days at Westminster Chapel, uh, you prayed not one or two minutes, but it went eight, nine, ten minutes. It was the tradition. I fitted in well. How I got through that prayer. What saved me was offering time. I sit down. The deacon comes up, welcomes the guests, and says the morning offering will be received. That gave me four or five minutes. I'm sitting there. I was not expecting this. This had never happened before. And I have to tell you, it hasn't happened since. But it happened then. It was like the Lord went into a conversation with me. What I'm going to tell you, I don't say it's verbatim, but it's pretty close. It was like this. So, R.T., you want to see revival in Westminster Chapel. Is that true? Yes, Lord. Good. How much do you want to see revival? Oh, more than anything. Really. Which would you rather have? Revival or for me to send judgment on that woman out there? Revival. Good. 
pray for her. I pray for her. That's not good enough. Ask me to bless her. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. And what if I take your word seriously and I answer your prayer and I bless her? Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> but that's the point. And I had to start to say, bless her. Bless her. Bless her. It was killing me. And I knew he was going to do it. And guess what? He did. That woman thrives in London today. Whether when I get to heaven I can resist going up to her and saying, I know why God blessed you. I don't know if I get away with that then. But, <laughs> but you know what? People ask me all the time, how come you've written all these books? They think it's my education. They think it's my brain. Wrong. It's what I'm preaching. This, I want you to tell you, you know, after that occasion, I began to get more insight into Scripture than I'd ever had in a day when very few people get books published. But publishers are queuing up to me. I've got a deal now. They want two books a year. It's not my brain. It's what I'm preaching. I promise. He'll do it for you. He'll do it for you. Doesn't mean you'll be an author. But I'll say it again. You have a gift no one else has. Not discovered yet because you can't be trusted. I'm finished. But let me just say this. I think I need to do this. I think I do. Could it be there's one person here, you say, R.T., I needed that. I'm so glad I was here. And I take what you say. And today, before God and the angels and before all these people, I'm going to ask you in 30 seconds from now to stand up. In front of all these people, yep. Well, they'll know I've had a problem. Does that matter? What they think doesn't matter whether you'll be popular in heaven. That's my new book. Don't stand unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't tell what they did. Look, I've already made that mistake. You say, just don't do it anymore. And you're prepared to forgive them totally. And you will bless them. Five, four, three, two, one. Anybody here like that? Stand up. Looks like more than one. Anyone else? Don't miss this moment. It may not come around like this again. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Remain standing. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. You that are standing, I want you to say it out loud. There's only about 15 of you. It's okay. Well done, you. You need to know that this is before God and the angels we're going to enter into a covenant. A covenant is so serious that in the Old Testament, it was always ratified by blood. Well, in the New T Testament, we've got a covenant ratified by the blood of Jesus. So you're under the blood, and the angels are watching.
if you're prepared to go into this out loud, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. Thank you for your patience with me. I'm sorry for my unforgiveness. Wash my sin away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit. I forgive them. You forgive them. I bless them. You bless them. I set them free. I welcome you. I give you my life all over again. In Jesus' name. Amen. One P.S. When you mess up, you will. We're not perfect. But when you do, like you point the finger, say something about them you shouldn't. You forget to let them save faith. Whatever. Don't say, well, I broke it. It's over. That would be the devil. That's what he wants you to do. When you mess up, just say, God, I'm sorry. Renew it right then so that the covenant stays in focus. And I guarantee you, to you that are standing and those who didn't stand, perhaps you didn't need to, whatever, the anointing will come in ever-increasing measure. God bless you. I'm finished. Bless you. Who's next? Music. Come on up. You see...